You're stupid too as I You're stupid too as I You'll never live You'll never die You're stupid too as I Welcome back to the Better Off Dead Minute Podcast The delightful podcast with a firm grip on the savage Steve Holland classic Better Off Dead I'm Curtis Blaze from thesacknews.com And I'm Jason Hummel from Mondo Confidential. Today we are attempting to comprehend Minute 49, which starts with Monique finally understanding what Lane's trying to say and introducing herself, and ends with Lane trying to get rid of Ricky. Tell us all about this minute, Curtis. Nothing would make me happier, Jason. In the previous minute, Lane and Monique officially met for the first time. As the minute begins, we hear Monique Junet's full name for the first time ever in the movie. At 48 minutes and 3 seconds, Ricky runs out of the dance, frantically searching for Monique. At 48 minutes and 12 seconds, we cut back to Lane and Monique talking, and Lane establishes that Monique does not speak English. At 48 minutes and 22 seconds, Ricky catches up to Lane, and Monique tells her, in creepy stalker boyfriend fashion, that he was worried and chastises her for running off without permission, and then immediately directs his jealous ire at Lane. At 48 minutes and 41 seconds, Ricky tells Monique that Mother will be waiting at the front of the school and will be very disappointed if he and Monique aren't right at the entrance of the school together. As the minute ends, Lane finds a diplomatic way to tell Ricky to get lost. There's only one thing that matters in this minute. And what might that be? The balloon. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) That's the best thing maybe in all of moviedom. Seriously. That's like some serious Jacques Tati kind of stuff going on there. When you now, I know what you mean by Jacques Tati, but what do you mean when you talk about Jacques Chachi? <laughs> Chachi, <laughs> like silent film comedy, comedy by action. Elaborate. <laughs> Elaborate on that. What movies did he make? Um, Jour de Fête, um, Mon Oncle. What were they about? Well, Jour de Fête was about a uh, policeman chasing his bicycle around. And uh, Mon Uncle was about a guy that just doesn't fit in with uh, the 50s uh, suburban American dream of owning all the latest gadgets. You know, it's one of those automated homes with automatic everything. How would Ricky have fit into this world? Well, he probably would have broken everything. <laughs> so when you said that this reminds you of Jokrash Ronchichi. Jokmonchichi. What was it specifically that it reminded you of? Well, it, it reminds me of the scene in uh, in Jour de Fate where he uh, loses control of his bicycle and he's chasing it down the street. And he has that kind of same kind of look of, come back, stop. <laughs> I need you. The thing that really sells this bit to me is not only the the franticness and the desperation to get his balloon back, but that moment where he pauses and he's trying to make the decision between his own jealousy that Monique is talking to Lane and his desire to get the balloon back. (laughs) I don't know if that was direction or a choice on Dan Schneider's part, but that was just a brilliant little look into his psyche, into the character's psyche. I believe it was improvised. Um, I, I think uh, 
Curtis Armstrong said so in his uh, book, Revenge of the Nerd, that a lot of Ricky's stuff was improv and that specifically, I think the balloon in- incident was off the cuff. Well, that explains then why such a 2D, such a flat character would end up having so much dimension in a stupid teen comedy. Yeah, I mean, you, you give a small flat part to somebody that's, you know, got comic chops and they're going to bring something extra to the table. You know, like uh, Albert Brooks in Taxi Driver. There was like nothing on the page for him. Remind me what part Albert Brooks played in Taxi Driver. He was the uh, the guy working on the campaign with Simple Shepherd, The guy that tells Travis to get lost. You know, the guy who goes, I'm going to play the male in this relationship. Well, Albert Brooks, you can't put a camera on him and not have it turn into gold. Right. A thing I never noticed about this minute, just watching the movie prior to doing this craziness called movies by minutes is that monique doesn't stop shaking lane's hand even after he does the whole settling her hand down it's off camera it's below camera but the whole time they're talking she starts shaking again (laughs) yeah there's such a desperation in that please don't leave and she just won't take her eyes off of him she won't look at ricky she's not acknowledging ricky at all in this scene it's like, you don't exist, la la la. And what Ricky's saying the whole time, very creepy, stalkery stuff. Yeah. The way he says mother is very Norman Bates. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I never even thought about that. Wouldn't it be interesting, Jason, if mother didn't exist? Is it possible for us to construct in our heads an edit of this movie in which Ricky plays his own mother? No, they appear too many times together. Damn. It, it would have to be kind of like the Fight Club thing where the characters only talk to one of them even if they're appearing together. This goes back to our dark, gritty reboot discussion. Yeah. Ricky and Mom are the same character, and at the end, in order to finally be free of his mother, instead of simply pushing her down in the snow, he shoots himself in the mouth. (laughs) And says to the uh, girl with the pigtails, you met me at a strange moment in my life. (laughs) Cue the pixies. (laughs) (laughs) I want this movie to happen. (laughs) Diane Franklin, you're probably not listening, but if you are and you have any influence, please, we want a dark, gritty reboot of this movie starring your daughter. In fact, it's even cool if she's the John Cusack part, if she's Lane. Ooh. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Could change her name to Laney, you know? And Ricky and his mom are two gone girl types. Ricky is like a gone girl crazy type. Stalker. Horrible person. I like this. Just remember, if you hear this, if if this gets made, we thought of it. (laughs) In Diane Franklin's book, what's it called? The Excellent Adventures of the Last American French Exchange Babe of the 80s. In that book, she talked about this scene a little bit. Not much, but pointed out that this scene helped establish Ricky's authority. Yes. When his mom's not around. She calls it authority. But I've met people like this in, in my life where they're just, they've just been kicked around by life and they're just not going to put up with people's crap. It's not authority. I think it's fear. I think his character is just afraid. And so he's responding by just being louder and pushier. I think he's, well, he's, he's trying to emulate his mom because he sees his mom as, like, powerful, you know, because she can basically outshout anybody. <laughs> You know, and uh, mom is where the security is for him, I think. 
That makes sense to me. So I've said it all over the intro to this sh- to this minute, but I'm right, right? This is the first time we hear Monique's full name. Yes. Yeah, and I'm wondering wondering where he came up with that name, Junet. It's not. I don't think it's a super common French name. There's a director, Jean-Pierre Junet, who did uh, City of Lost Children and uh, uh, Alien Resurrection. Maybe it's just a common name in French. It could be. It's the Smith. (laughs) She's Monica Smith. (laughs) Yeah, just like in Japan, Yoko is like Jennifer. No! (laughs) What's Ono then? As if that's not obvious. (laughs) One. (laughs) Jennifer One. As long as we're on the topic, Yoko Ono, what's your opinion? Did she break up the Beatles? Nah, I think they were ready to disband all for their own reasons. No, I I don't think she drove a wedge between them, really. That handshake, though, you know, it really does change from from like a desperate yearning to escape from Ricky to almost like defiance. Like she's gonna shake Lane's hand until, you know... Ricky just slinks away with his tail between his legs. She just got done in the last minute nearly killing him. (laughs) Now she's kind of desperately clinging to him. Like a life preserver. Almost like a life preserver, yeah. Just trying to make him a buffer between her and the Smiths. But that's not all there is to it. I mean, she's liked him since the beginning, since she saw him all those minutes ago. Yeah, I mean... Lady in the window style. Yeah, she's always looked at him with kind of curiosity and approval. There's just so many expressions that go over her face while she's shaking his hand. Yeah, like you said, the desperation, the defiance. There's almost laughing, kind of joyous. Just leaning in and just being in the moment. Yeah. You know, there's this moment right here at 48 minutes and 40 seconds where I think that's the first clue we have that she can speak English. Because she's reacting accurately to all of this English speaking. Yeah, yeah. Now, obviously, the actress could. But the character, Monique, right there. Actually, it's 48 minutes and 33 seconds. She's getting upset by, by what's being said. Yeah. I never caught that before. I wonder if that was intentional. If that was supposed to be a little foreshadowing that we were supposed to figure out that she would know English later. I mean, aside from it being a overused trope... <laughs> The foreigner who can speak English. Yeah. But yeah, there's always little, little tiny clues that she can, that she understands what's going on. Well, I never thought about it till this minute, but I would like to go back to like Christmas. Christmas. <laughs> and just kind of, just kind of watch her, you know, watch her face more closely and see, you know, if she was picking up on English back then too. I mean, obviously if she was, we know that she can speak it, but yeah, if she was betraying that with her facial expressions. Hey, so I've got a question, Jason. Watching this movie, have you ever, before this moment, does Lane know that Monique exists? Hmm. You know, I. This is definitely uh, the the minute where he acknowledges her, and I kind of think, yeah, that he didn't really see her before, because he was just so in the Beth zone. I mean, he was at Christmas with her. No, he was at dinner. No, is dinner coming up? Wait a minute. Well, no, this, this is New Year, so Christmas has passed. Right. Yeah. It yeah. seems like that was six months ago. Yeah. 
the ducks, <laughs> all that stuff. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, he had to have known she was there by then, but he still really wasn't, like, paying too much attention, I don't think, because he was trying to, like, rub on the primer. True. So, probably, this is the minute. I can't believe you're here tonight. What's the name of the actual song? <laughs> With a little luck. With a little luck. So, actually, this is the minute. This is the minute where we realize he's back into her. I mean, yeah, this is like a, a classic meet-cute, you know. Most people would have it, like, right at the beginning of a movie, you know. But to have her come along, like, at just the right time, you know, as he's bottoming out, you know. Dumped by Joanne Greenwald. <laughs> yeah. Well, Jason, quick minute. Yeah, swift minute. The Better Off Dead Minute podcast is a fan project by Curtis Blaze and Jason Hummel. The movie Better Off Dead was created by Savage Steve Holland and presented by Warner Brothers in association with A&M Films. The Better Off Dead Minute podcast is produced and edited by Curtis Blaze. Our opening music, Suicide for You, is by Skatred. You can follow the Better Off Dead Minute on Twitter at BOD Minute and at our Facebook group at the Better Off Dead Minute Crisis Support Service and at uh, betteroffdeadminute.com. Don't forget to leave us a voicemail or text at 712-830-7373. Also, don't forget to leave us a five-star review on iTunes. If you would like to listen to other Movies by Minute podcasts, check out moviesbyminutes.com. Join us whenever for the next Better Off Dead Minute podcast. Minute 50. Do I have that right? Yes, Minute 50. Woohoo! Until then, I'm Curtis. And I'm Jason. Good night.